If you haven't seen Secret Chef, this is going to be your bi-weekly reminder to do so. On Hulu, if you haven't downloaded Hulu on your TV, you should do so. Or your smartphone, your tablet, however you consume streaming media. There's a bunch of great things on Hulu, including The Bear. I still haven't seen all the episodes, but it is all the rage. And get ready for a bunch of poor imitators and knockoffs. Some of which might be pitched by us and made by us. But there's a lot of great things on Hulu, including Secret Chef. Go check it out. It's a game show, less of a pseudo best chef in the world. So check it out. Uh, a lot of fun. And all things Discord, our community for Major Dumb Media is on the Discord channels. You can visit us at majordumbmedia.com to click on a link. And you have to go through some things that are too complicated to explain. But we have a wonderful community. And great discount codes to any day cookware. There's an extra large bowl that uh, I'm trying to constantly fill up with more things to bring it to the meniscus level, but it's quite big. Athletic brewing, something that we are drinking quite a bit of in the office. In fact, it is we're we're blo- we're blowing through them quite quite quickly. I gave Chris an athletic light, and he said, "No, I would like a Rattler, please." <laughs> It's Rattler season, baby. It is Rattler it's season. It's Rattler season. And uh, I don't think we would be getting anything done without Cometeer Coffee, our coffee of choice. It is a game changer, so get yourself some of the best almost instant coffee. It's a So just check it out. Check out Cometeer. And of course, all things Momofuku. We got some new flavors coming out soon, available nationwide. And if you're not at a place that has one of our products, you can get it delivered to your door by visiting us at shop.momofuku.com. And thank you again to everyone supporting us, both for you know the Momofuku side and all the listeners that are listening to this podcast and to Recipe Club. So, uh, yeah, we'll get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Media. Thank you a lot, Tango, as always. Chris Yang is calling from... What I would normally see as the pandemic version of Chris. <laughs> you spent a lot of hours looking at me in this room. This, yeah. We looked at each other in specific rooms for a very long time. But I'm, it's, it's, I'm at my in-laws house visiting for non-pandemic reasons. And how's that going? You know, a lot of kid, a lot of kid time. Chang, it's, it's like you, you were talking about coming back from your most recent trip. Traveling with children... It's not vacation. <laughs> God, it's not vacation. My back hurts so bad. We were sleeping in one room, the four of us. And I, I, I um, listen, I don't know how my mom did it when she came to this country. <laughs> I remember, like, I just was old enough to remember the apartment uh, that we lived in. And there was like four of us in two bedrooms, six people in like two bedrooms. I remember that. I was like one of my first memories. I I just don't know how they did it. (laughs) It's such, it's so, it's so miserable. And it's just so much kids on top of me. Hey, give me, I know we did this bit recently on sort of like uh, signs of aging, but uh, being a couple years older than me, answer this question. I was asking Jamie this. Is my back just going to hurt for the rest of my life? Oh, yeah. When I herniated my two discs, the doctor was like, oh, yeah, that's not even real. The real problem. That's just war. 
You've been through war. That's so, what was his term. And, um, you know, just get used to it. It's just like for the, uh, like I, I said to Jamie, I think that this is just the rest of my life. This yeah. back pain. And other pains. Wait till uh, your cholesterol just shoots up for no reason. <laughs> Wait till your already slow metabolism decides to like go on strike. No, it can't get yeah. any slower, man. Yeah. It's so Fat slow. Fat kid getting fatter. <laughs> Fat kid on a diet. Don't try it. God. What, you, what, you, what song is that from? Fat kid on a diet. Don't try it. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we're going to do a how-to menu. We're going to try to get into a moif. What was that? What song? It's from Cypress Hill. Uh, Insane in the Brain. God, I remember when that song came out. That was the summer of hot boxing cars. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> how-to menu, and we're going to get into a, a, a quick moif. We haven't done one in a while. And I think with all these segments that we've been creating over the past six, seven months, you're going to start seeing them coming into rotation, but maybe not as long. We're going to be doing quick, quicker hits of them. And then we're going to do a little bit of a trend forecast about peak Korean food. Have we hit it? And then we're going to try to end on something a little bit more mm, food understanding, food, food, uh, where, where the delicious things are at by talking about food enclaves and China burbs and Korean town burbs. And, and it's a longer conversation. But I think that if you're interested about where to find the next delicious thing, this is a, a good place to start as we try to unravel it ourselves. So uh, we'll get on with the show. Our how-to menu, we just had to restart for a variety of reasons, but how-to menu with Nolia Kitchen in Cincinnati, Ohio. Chef Jeffrey Harris doing his take on the cuisine of New Orleans, a James Beard nominated serving New Orleans and Southern style cuisine in Cincinnati. Don't know if I've been in Cincinnati. Don't hmm. remember. Actually, no, I have. I have. <laughs> I have. I have. When I was 22, when I drove, drove cross country, we stayed one night in Cincinnati because our friend Paige lived in Cincinnati. That's why. Do you, you have no recollection of any Cincinnati classics being eaten? There's Cincinnati, Cincinnati chili. There's Cincinnati chili, which yeah. I believe is chili on spaghetti, correct? I think they put on spaghetti. I think they put it also on hot dogs, but it's like a, it's kind of like, I think it's a little bit like Coney Island dog chili. It's Greek immigrant chili. And all I really know about Cincinnati is that there are the Bengals there and that there was uh, the TV show. KCRW, <laughs> the radio one. No, there was a there was a TV show based in Cincinnati, Ohio, a sitcom, and I grew up watching it. <laughs> they had the Wolfman t- Jack on it. Seriously, right? If someone can no, look I, up I, the name. Isn't it um, W whatever W WKRP in Cincinnati? That's it. Great show. Yeah. I remember watching it on having zero context for any of the jokes because I was like five years old. So we know there's chili. We know there used to be a TV show in the and I the believe Bengals there. I believe the 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 Wolfman was later in a TV show called like Teach or something like that. Mister 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 something and his kids. God damn it! Teach no Arthur. There's hmm. 
he was in a show. Regardless, we're, we're, we're wasting time here. I'm not meaning to do so because this is not part of the plan to talk about our ancient TV shows that nobody's watching. But how to menu? I'm looking at the menu. They have raw bar, but Bakri, is that like Cajun or Pity or like Low Country? I think it must be Creole or something, Creole? right? Bakri, raw bar, yeah. Pity is small plates, Roblox. We should learn more about this. Apologies if we're literally just butchering this. And sides. Yeah, well, each menu, each each section of the menu with about four items. It seems pretty manageable. What do you think are what are our parameters what for is ordering the dialect, from this restaurant? I'm looking it up. These things are not coming up. All right. So under raw bar, we got golf oysters, marinated crab claws, peel and eat shrimp, bakratois, which is all of those and crawfish from a lot. What is our budget here, sir? For two people? Do mm. we go 100 bucks, 150 bucks, 75 bucks a person? You want to do 150 pre tax and tip? Pre tax and tip. All, all right. right. So 150 pre tax and tip, just, just so people get a, uh, have a, a sort of frame of reference. The raw bar section, the Bakri section ranges from 20 to $50. The small plates are 12 to 16. The large plates are 24 to 34, and the sides are 10 to 12. So right now, we're looking at... This is also a problem and a dilemma I think a lot of people see when you go to a restaurant that has a raw bar section. Many of our restaurants do. And I'm not trying to create paralysis of choice, but it happens. Because technically, they're small plates too. Yes. So we have to get... A couple of these. So you need to peruse the entire menu to get a lay of the land, right? Got some small plates. Hmm. Small plates usually are where the salads are at and fried and baked things. Mm-hmm. Here you got skillet cornbread, spiced Brussels, kachambari salad, and crab boulettes is the small plate section. So raw bar, though, is a, is a trigger word for me. If there's a raw bar on a menu, I have to go there. So we're agreed that we're going to order a raw bar for sure, right? Correct. But the problem is with our budget, problem with the raw bar is you could really blow out your entire budget immediately. Right? Yeah. I think this ba cri Because people, seems you like know, oysters sort of... are not cheap. Yeah. People are probably, restaurants are probably, I mean, honestly, buy like a dollar each. Even more now, probably like a dollar 75 each, even for a golf oyster or a blue point oyster. So they're not money makers per se for restaurants, but the plateaus can be. Hmm. So when you get the whole thing and that's a value add thing, uh, having made a lot of plateaus in my life, I hope that people never have to order those ever again. I feel bad for every, every cook. <laughs> so, so now, you can make a little bit of money on them because there's more or like slightly more, more room for sandbagging. Because more the, stuff the, the price be- is more expensive because they have things that you couldn't get a la carte, like a caviar or lobster or something like that. Um, and listen, truly plateaus are wonderful things to share and to celebrate, right? If you go to a place that has a great plateau, I encourage you to get it for a celebratory occasion. <sighs> this is tough. Right now Here's- you, you want to get the, 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 the Bacri because it, all of them. You get the oysters, peel and eat shrimp. And crab claws. So that's 50. 
No, 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 now, no. If you order- no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a look. You, you do you. I'm doing mine. Right? Okay. It's not okay. together. Come on. The okay. same. Okay. Same. This is named Perfect Strangers. <laughs> and we're going to reach out to Nolaya Kitchen to see who does better. To see who does better. Hmm. Fair. And uh, I was about to say we would do it anonymously, but that's not going to work. <laughs> dumb, dumb me. We could. We could email them before this comes out and send them two choices and see who, who they prefer. All right. We've now made our menus. And we decided along the way to do it around 120 bucks, give or take. Because 150 tax and tip. We're also not including booze and i think we should probably talk about if you were going to get it around 120 with booze what would what would you cut or or beverages i forgot about booze i know me too you need to come with an alternative and i tell you i'm gonna go first okay you can't change it don't change it okay 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 or you want to text it no we just trust let's just go honor system i'm gonna go a little bit different at Nolia Kitchen. I am not going to get raw bar. Hmm. I, as much as I want it, I love crab claws. I love golf oysters. And I think a tasso mignonette is delicious. I love tasso. Very, very good. Peeling shrimp, one of my favorites. I would, but I've eaten it so much. But I've never had, I would love to try the crawfish remoulade. That would be tough. So to me, it's got to be the remoulade or the boulette. Uh-huh. And, crab. and that's where I decide not to go. With the, that was like the hard choice for me to go double crab for the price. So I'm going to go boulettes instead of the remola. Okay. Smart, smart. Side, crab my small mm-hmm. plates, my pity. I'm going cornbread and salad with tone cheese. So it's $18. Right. So at, right now I'm at 46 bucks, 46 bucks. Then. I'm going the jerk rabbit for $32 and stuffed collards because I have to see what that is. And it's vegan, right? Or vegetarian, gluten-free for $24. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not always the lamb person. I'm not going to order fish. And I've had enough pork belly in my life. It could be delicious. Could be the signature dish. And I'm probably going to shy away from pork belly because I've just had so much. So I'm, yeah. I'm sticking to the jerk rabbit. And I think you can tell a lot about the restaurant, a restaurant when you order the one vegetarian vegan dish, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get two sides. This is also the big debate for me. I'm going the black eyed peas and okra and the potatoes murrows because that just seems very, very delicious. I don't Fried know what potatoes murrows are. I haven't looked at any photos, but that's what I would do. Tabbouleh. Like, let's be honest. I'm not. A, I'm not a big tabbouleh fan. I think what scared you off the tabbouleh, and I'm also not a big tabbouleh guy. It's. It seems like a, a semi-standard tabbouleh with frica and herbs, and then some gooseberries, <laughs> just to make it slightly less appealing to and me I'm personally. Going, I'm going for one dessert. Again, like if I was actually here, I'd probably order the whole menu, just to be clear. <laughs> but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the budget in mind. I'm going to go with the Dunku, Dunku, which is cornmeal pudding, passion fruit gel, 
with raspberry. And that was really a debate between cheesecake. But again, I've had cheesecake. I've never had a Creole cheesecake. And this is the problem. When you're going to a restaurant for one, just one time, you can't usually get everything. I would mm-hmm. only eat here with four people minimum. I think two people is hard. I would go here four people, and I would make sure that we didn't get overlapping of any, any dishes. Now, if we had beverages, I'd probably deduct another 30 bucks from this, right? So it'd be $90 food, and my, uh, my total is like 127 bucks. If we had beverages, I would, I would probably not get the sides. That's thir- almost thirty bucks right there. As much as I want the cornbread and the boulettes, I, I, I'm almost going. Just, you know, maybe I'd get the sides to start, and then I would go large dishes into a dessert, or I would just get the boulettes and I would skip dessert. That's pretty much it. I would get the boulettes not get the cornbread and I would skip the sides and I would get dessert. So there's a lot of different ways you could go if you needed to get 90 bucks. So to review, your menu is for two, cornbread, the kachumbari salad, which is arugula, tomato, onion, cilantro, avocado dressing, add cheese, mm-hmm. crab boulettes with smoked yep. fat aioli. Mm-hmm. Your large plate, your main is jerk rabbit, 32 bucks with pickled plums. And plantain mole. Two sides of potatoes muros, fried potatoes with chimichurri, and the black-eyed peas and okra. Correct. And then two desserts, right? The donkunu, the cornmeal pudding, and the cheesecake. Is that what you said? No, no, no. Just the donkunu, and I'm at 100 Oh, okay. 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 A lot of vegetarian options here. Yes. A lot of vegetarian options. And I think that you're totally right, especially for a restaurant that has a lot of vegetarian options. At first, I was like driven away by them, and I thought, well, they do a bunch of them. So it's not just, they're not just throwing a. But they only have one main large plate. So that's why I wanted to order it. A couple smalls and a couple of sides. Yeah, we have very different approaches here. (laughs) I think I'm going for a. I'm going to lean into the raw bar, actually. (laughs) Uh oh. We're going to stack it up front here. And true to my word, cannot I cannot see whether it's written in Creole or English or French or whatever. If there's a fucking plateau, I'm going to order it. So $50 Bakri Trois, oysters, crab claws, peel and eat shrimp. <laughs> I'm going to... Oh shit, how did my menu blow up so much? I'm going to double down... I'm going to get that. The one thing missing from the Bakri Trois, like Dave just said, they've got the oysters, you've got crab claws, and you have the shrimp. <laughs> the one thing from the raw bar that's missing is the crawfish remoulade. So I'm just going to order it anyway. So I've spent $70 without getting out of the you got first. The whole raw, you got the, all the raw bar. You basically yeah, got, got the entire raw bar. 70 bucks. I've decided to go full raw bar You're today. like that fantasy football player that just spent <laughs> their entire allocation like- in the first round. I spent my entire budget on the first round. Yeah, you have, usually have a hundred bucks. You just spent seventy percent of your budget. Congratulations! I spent seventy of my hundred. The reason why I I disapprove of this approach, and there's a lot of technique, and there's you can make beautiful things from raw bar stuff. But to me, if I'm there one time, I want to see the, the the scope of everything else as well. 
You're right. You're right. I saw, so, and I, I'm, I'm being honest and not changing my approach, even though after, after hearing yours, I was like, oh, he's, he's getting something out of every section. I should probably follow Too late. Suit. Too late. But I'm being honest. This is my, this is my, this, two-thirds this of your is budget. my honest spend. This is no, no mulligans. I spent most of my budget on the first section. I'm going to go my main, just this is how I'm doing my math. My main was also the jerk rabbit. So I'm at $102 with one main and the entire raw bar. I mean, you could split that. That works. For I'm going to do, yeah. I'm going to do, so I've got 102 bucks. I'm going to do, I was torn here. Because I just feel like, you know, the fact that it's a, it's a, there are some things that I'm really screwing up here because if it's a New Orleans, you know, chef and it's it's kind of a new orleanian menu there are things that you should probably you know try out for the first time the classics but i'm i might skip skillet cornbread and go for those potatoes muros which puts me at 114 and you i'm got getting six ice bucks. cream you got six okay you're, you're i'm doing you're, ice cream you're you're, you're you're okay you can only get the huckabuck What's, which one's the Huckabuck? Oh, Frozen Season. No, but you were at 126. I can go to 124. All right, all right, all right. Now, what do you do if you have to get to 90 bucks because you got a couple of beverages? I'm screwed. I'm, I'm really screwed here. So I got I to gotta go no dessert and no sides. There's only $22. You know, I have to drop the... If I have to go drinks, then I keep the, the, the plateau. I drop the crawfish remoulade for 20 bucks and I drop... I, think I drop ice cream. You know, I drink my dessert. All right. Well, let's see who won. I don't even think they'll be able to decipher your order because we change <laughs> it so much. But you know, I, I think it's there's an important like trend to to talk about. I don't know if it's still the case, but for many years in the early aught and late aughts, the trend of the small plate, something that I feel like Sambar helped popularize. You could make a whole meal out of small plates. I love small plates. I also love that the reason why, and a lot of, I would say, food media would criticize it because, and, and some customers that were more accustomed to a traditional, you know, coursing of food, which is first course, second course, third course, et cetera. Um, they didn't like that it was whatever, whatever happened for the kitchen. And mm-hmm. we talked a couple of weeks ago about firing and expediting in the order. The, the, I love live in a world of sports analogies. If you are in a kitchen or you go in a restaurant where you can order everything to the server, but basically the kitchen decides whenever it comes out and, and they're going to come up with some order. They're not going to do dessert first, right? It, it, the expediter, whoever's frying the food will have an understanding and a cadence of what's going to be. That is the equivalent of running a run pass offense, an RPO in football mm-hmm. or spread. It's just, there's really no play, but you know, I can change it up however I want, but there's a basic play. And mm-hmm. that gives the kitchen a tremendous amount of freedom to say, actually, hey, um, I got, I got, you know, this is like three different tables, right? Three different tables of marinated crab claws, skillet cornbread, Brussels sprouts, and then a fourth table comes on. And, you know, so you have a lot of tables might order the same thing. And then you might say, you know what, to your hot app station, just fire three more crab boulettes. I know that we're going to get that, or we're just going to add that onto a certain table. That is great for a small, small kitchen or a place that is doing small plates because it gives you the freedom to just be like, 
you know what? Instead of refiring all the crabulettes for the next course, I'm just going to give you two right now because my that station is doing an order right now. So instead of plating three, I'm just going to bunch up some and plate four, even though that fourth ticket is it came like 15 minutes later, right? And they just sat down and you have the three other tables that have been sitting there for 30, 40 minutes and they're getting their first courses. It's quite possible that person that just sat down could be getting their crabulettes immediately mm-hmm. simply because it's easier to batch things out. And that's how a small plate, you know, free form system of small plates might happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm nodding my head as you're talking because I think, I think that I don't that know what RPO, I said made any sense to anybody. No, no, no. I was, I was just going to say, I think that RPO option is a perfect analogy because so, so for, for the, the lay person, you've gone to a restaurant, exactly what, what Chang was just saying. You sit down, you order, you look around, there's other people who haven't got their food yet. And somehow within 45 seconds of placing your order, the crab boulettes you just ordered hit the table. Correct. And you're like, this is amazing. How did this happen? The expediter dropped back like the quarterback, saw the defense in front of him. And a quarterback has this option to, in an RPO, they can hold onto the ball, they can keep it and run it themselves, they can hand it off to the running back, or they can pass it. So it's all all just subject to, what am I looking at? So this expediter has said, oh, good, another order for crab boulettes just came. Let me add that to the, the three that are already on fire. And now your table has gotten them immediately. So I think that's like a perfect, a perfect analogy. But what you were saying that are we moving away from the RPO in restaurants? I, I think so. I think that was a time and place. But I would say one of the things that I like as a trend, especially if you're a two top, two people dining, is to split a larger format like main course. And I think that's one way to stretch your dollars as well. So I would ask, hey, another good thing to ask the server is when you get to the large plates and large plates are meant for sharing, number one. So it's quite possible not seeing the pl- photos of the food. They could say, actually, that seat shot isn't a four ounce, five ounce portion that you might get in a traditional restaurant. That's a whole fish. I don't know. That pork belly might be like 12 ounces. I don't know. And the, it's really important to have that conversation with the server because it's like, hey, you don't have to say you're, you're trying to limit to $120, but in your mind, it's like, okay, you're doing the rough calculation. And you'd be like, hey, is that jerk ra- rabbit? Is that big enough for two? And the server might say, you know what? It really is. It's our signature dish. It's, it's quite large. It's a whole rabbit or half a rabbit. And if you round that out with a couple other things, that's going to be plenty of food. And if you need more, let me know. Like, that's just how it happens. So if you're two people dining, I think it's a probably wise move to split one large plate as your main entree and then fill it up with a bunch of other things and it gives you a better taste of the restaurant. I wanted to do one side note before we move on. And if anyone from Nolia Kitchen is, is listening, you know, I think just, you know, let, let us know who won. But I wanted to say I never got a chance to talk about this in the, the expediting talk when we were talking about the bear. If you're expediting Nolia Kitchen, we never talked about the next level of expediting, which is you're firing tickets that don't even, that, that don't even exist. <laughs> you're For those that are listening, you may not have experienced this. You may not know because you're so busy cooking. But there are people running the pass, chefs, expediters. Ex- actually, chefs don't usually, I mean, expediters that are only expedite the tickets usually don't do this. These are usually the chefs expediting because they have a better feel, a flow of the kitchen, the reservation book, and they're in constant dialogue with the front of the house servers and back waiters. When you, when you realize there might be a lull 
and you're getting a sense. And sometimes you might have a kitchen uh, video that shows you the dining room. You could see, oh, it's getting, you know, you're going to get crushed because it's a late turn and everyone from seven o'clock is now sitting at eight o'clock. You can have a feel of these things. You can get ahead by using almost like intuitive data at your, uh, in your arsenal and be like, hey, actually fire the four rabbits, fire mm-hmm. three pork bellies. Hey, hey, Garmage Station, why don't you just start opening up 64 oysters mm-hmm. and let's get some peel and eat crab and shrimp already plated right now. And there's no tickets. <laughs> No tickets. And you're not sandbagging it because by the time those things are plated and those things are fired, it allows you to get the first wave of orders. Because when, when I mean like a whole restaurant gets seated at the same time, like that literally happens. A whole turn might happen at the same time. And whoever gets those tickets in first from the service, you tell, hey, get your orders in quick because we, we got to like manage this pace. When the tickets start coming in, you know, hey, it starts to match up perfectly. That also mm-hmm. helps if you have really great front of the house because you can say, I need you to order exactly what I just pre-ordered. <laughs> you need to get this table to order exactly what I just fucking ordered. Right. I <laughs> Push that rabbit. You need to push the rabbit. Because I just fired 16 of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's a stretch it, it, you're, you're really gambling. And I am a gambling man. And man, yep. did I like doing this. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord did i like doing the gamble this. is like i just fired six rabbits and nobody ordered them and chef shit. um we don't have any tickets it's like i know just do it <laughs> trust me <laughs> again sometimes my bets paid off more often than not they paid off but man when you're wrong whew. <laughs> people are pissed i think i'm a really good them. expediter number one i really think i am let me let me ask you one more question before we move on here. When you're 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 talking about the splitting mains and sort of asking your server, because you can also get the opposite response. You can say, "Hey, we're we're going to share the rabbit," and they can say, "You know, it's really just like a, a little tiny piece of loin and you know a leg. It's really not super shareable." You can get that response too. Whether you're dining at a restaurant or you're uh, at one of the Momofuku restaurants, do you generally expect? consistency in portion size across category like all the large plates unless there's a huge no. price difference no no there's a price difference but sometimes a cheaper dish like a plenty dish actually usually is you know something that seems a lower price point could actually be the the highest volume of food so you never mm-hmm. know talk to your server it's really great to just speak to them speaking of which i just saw the the tally i need to take off something online and i am going to remove my black-eyed peas and ochre that gets me to solid 120. And uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to find out our answer soon enough. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with a quick moif. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. 
This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Great iced tea takes you somewhere else like new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea that we have here at the Spotify Studios and drink quite a bit where unexpectedly blackberry flavor transports you to a berry delicious place. So refreshing you may never want to leave. You will eventually have to though, but take your time. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf. That's 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. All right, guys, we're back. We're going to do a single moif. And I have now been going out to restaurants a little bit more. In fact, we go out more often than not to Bianca Pizza right here at the row. Because my kids have an affinity for um, Chris Bianco's pizza. The, <laughs> these kids are going to get so screwed up because they're going <laughs> to, when they taste like normal fruits, they're like, ah, what is this? And they taste like <laughs> other pizza in America or the world. I'm like, this ain't good because they're spoiled. <laughs> That's the one restaurant where it's great because you don't have to order kids' menu. Everything is good for adults and kids. What I want to talk about are restaurants where you sit down and immediately what they do is they give you, they see it in the train, they give you construction paper or some old menu with a blank side and a package of crayon. In fact, they do do that at Bianco as well. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Hospitality is fantastic. Food is fantastic. And it has become my kid's canteen. But there are a couple restaurants we've been to and when we were on holiday, they had a kid's menu where we were at. And I have to say, I was eating all of their food. As I was feeding them, I was like, damn, can we get another plate of these French fries and the chicken fingers? These hot homemade chicken fingers are delicious. And I don't want, I don't want to make any kind of sign of offense to the kitchen staff. But I'm like, that grilled cheese you made with tomato is sick. Like, that's what I want. (laughs) That buttered pasta, not going to lie. Buttered Mm. pasta is delicious. (laughs) And a lot of these restaurants, and it's almost always buttered pasta with a sprinkling or heavy sprinkling of cheese, some kind of fried chicken product, French fries or tater tots to some degree, some kind of sandwich. And the thing that no kid ever orders like that fish, potentially. But that's really it. It's a kid's menu is a four, maybe a small hamburger. Would you agree? Those are, yeah, those are the classics of the canon. Yes. Uh, yes. What else might you, might you add? No, no, I was just thinking about how my daughter is the one who orders the fish. <laughs> just the weirdo <laughs> kid that orders the fish everywhere we go. And I'm or so you go to a place like Heidi Lau. We've been to Heidi Lau together with our kids and they have the specific kid's menu. What a great place for kids. This place is incredible. So you go to Heidi Lau and they have, they give you this little silicone bento for lack of a better term that fits into the exact slot where, you know, our hot pot goes and it's got like a little piggy steam bun. It's got dino bites. It's got, it's got little fruit. The only thing on there, the only thing on there and the only thing on every single kid's plate where I'm just like, what is this doing here is like, why did you put one cherry tomato on here? Right. He's not going to eat this. Heidi Lau, it's a beast. It's awesome. Check it out if you haven't been. But really, it's... I, I, I'm going to have to say, I think that anytime there's a kid's menu, I want to order that. 
and I want to eat that food more than what is on the main menu. And I don't know what to do. Secondly, as we found out we're in Disneyland, we went to the pizza place and I found that hack. What was that place called? It's the it's like the Toy Story Astro Pizza place. Yeah, so right when you go to the center of Disneyland, it's the only pizza shop there. Mm-hmm. And like a slice of pizza, like 12 bucks. But you can get like a same slice of pizza, milk, and a piece of fruit for like six bucks. And I did get it for our kids. And I was like, I should just lie. <laughs> I get way more bang for your buck. Yeah. And that's what I mean is, Sometimes your bang for your buck is more as a kid's menu. My question is, is it like sitting in a disabled section chair or parking in a handicapped spot if you order the kid's menu? Because I think that we could take this to the Supreme fucking court. If it's right. an option, we should be able to fucking order. That's my, my, my stance. And I don't mean any disrespect to the kitchen, but you can't do it at all restaurants. <laughs> I can't. I think this is like. I thought you're. This was gonna stop at the kids' menu is the best, but this this is raised a true moral conundrum. <laughs> like I am trying to wrap my head around this. Because sometimes Unless you want to order. Do you over? And here's the other question: Do you over order the kids' menu to number one get more bang for your buck? Number two, because it's cheaper. I mean, it's same thing, but like you can. You know, it's just maybe with two kids, but you order like four options. And I've done that. I've done that. Oh, you know, we'll get the butter pasta. We'll get the pizza and we'll get the fried chicken fingers. Can we get a side of extra fries? <laughs> so, so to answer your second question, do I over order with the kids menu? Absolutely. I consider the kids menu to be like the supplemental menu. Yeah. <laughs> Is it really like just extra. a kids menu? Because the adults are just going to, you know, be the cleanup crew anyway. And sometimes, sometimes the things that they offer on the kids menu, I need to eat my adult food. <laughs> I need that buttered pasta to sop up the sauce for yeah. the rest yeah. of my food. I need those fries to go on top. So what I want to ask is if things. I know that my child won't finish all those French fries, right? Why would I want to wait? If they're only going to eat half of the French fries, why? If I have that empirical evidence, why do I need to wait for them? To not eat half. Why don't I just eat them while they're hot and fresh? Before let me, they eat let me, theirs. Let, let, me, let, me, let me add it. <laughs> Their food also comes first. Let me add a yeah, question. Their food always question. comes first. It just is teasing you. Eating you. Let me, let, me, let me answer your question to the question. If I'm not over-ordering for my kids, if I'm, not, if I'm not using my kids to get an extra cheese pizza to go with the food I don't really want and some extra fries and some chicken fingers, what's the fucking point of having kids? If I can't That's use all them, I wanted to state, it's really just a statement of fact that I think the kids' menu is a, a tease, and <laughs> I feel like adults should be free to order it freely, right? Well, so to that, that should, question, there's two laws that would happen in the in the the, the Democratic Republic of Chang. I pre I the IP freely rule where you could just pee anywhere you want as long as it's outside. Two. What? That's a terrible rule. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's a horrible rule. Where are they, don't try to just. This is this is the equivalent of Congress just tacking on some horrible <laughs> amendment to a law. I'm not signing on for that one. You That's pee insane. on your own tire, for fuck's sake. I do it in secret. <laughs> I do it to my own tire. All right, fine. Listen, the other rule what's be, more crazy? An IP freely free, free, free rule outside, say that three times, or 
an open carry gun law. All okay. right? Put it like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should be able to pee my, wherever you want. My, mine is way more uh, accessible and of course. less dangerous. Of course, of course. Of and course. providing like nitrates to the soil. So, don't. You, you always go one too far. You had me. And then nitrates to the soil. Whatever. So do you, could you ever, I know you can't. I don't think you've reached this level of nirvana. If you are eating without your kids, there's no That's way. That's what I want to get to. I want to get to that place where I <laughs> where just have the balls to be menu. like, yeah, it's me. I'm 46 <laughs> years old. And I would like the child's menu, please. Come on. <laughs> That's what I mean. I think that's a Supreme Court case waiting to happen. You know what you do, Dave? I got to move for us. I got to move for us. Oh, my kid's in the bathroom. Can I get a, a kid's menu, too, for when they come back? <laughs> oh, yeah. They're having a tantrum there in the car. You know, I, I just, uh, yeah. Or can I get it to, oh, you know what? I just realized the hack. Ask for it to go eat it in the car by yourself. <laughs> Ask, ask for it to go eat it at the yes. table. <laughs> no, I think to hide your shame, you should just get like, if four chicken finger kids specials equal one adult, get four for the price of one and eat in your car. Right. There's also like a thing sometimes where you see, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this exactly. You see something on the adult menu and then you see French fries. It's listed as one thing, and it costs X amount. And you see this like a very similar sounding thing on the kids' menu. It's just called French fries. It's, it's palm frites on the, on the adult menu just, and French fries on the kids' menu. And you're like, there's no chance those are two different things. I'm just saying, if you don't have kids, you don't even have to have kids to do this, all right, folks? Just, just know that the kids' menu is secret gold. <laughs> And I don't blame any restaurant to not put kids' menu on. I don't blame them because just that's easier. No, we have no kids' menu. <laughs> it's a huge ego bruiser to just have this. I mean, it's there. really the equivalent. What I'm saying is the equivalent of saying, oh, thank you for the paper and the crayons and taking that from your kids and drawing it yourself. <laughs> that's basically what is it, 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 I'm doing. I understand the total absurdity of it, but if you haven't been in that situation, now you know. All right, let's take a break. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs, scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. I wanted to add this idea. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast over the years. Have we sort of reached peak Korean food? I, I think you could even lump that into, have we reached sort of peak Korean culture here in America? And if you ask me, I was dead wrong because I thought we probably peaked uh, the mid-aught 
or, you know, 2018, 20, 2017. But at least in New York, it is just Korean restaurant this and Korean restaurant that and great success and big shout out to the whole Atomix team and JP and uh, Elia and the whole team. They, they've done a remarkable job. But there are so many Korean restaurants. I, when I had that lunch date with Corey, we talked about that too in New York, right? Um, it's amazing that all these Korean restaurants are opening up. But at the same time, it's like, is there, is there an actual supply of people to you know, satiate this demand? Because there are so many goddamn Korean restaurants right now of all kinds of varieties, and they're really new. And we're not just speaking. I, I think what's happened in New York, when I say peak, it's really just located in New York because I think that starts to echo out to America over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what I mean peak is the sort of the food center where a lot of trends get started, let's just say in New York. Again, I don't know why, but we're not seeing that modernization of Korean food here in, in L.A. There's a couple spots. I don't want to say that we're not, but not at the fervor that we see in New York. And I just want to ask, like, are we at peak in New York, even though we're not living in New York? I think we are following pretty closely what's happening. I think in New York we are entering where you, you can't add any more Korean restaurants. And I'm not saying you can't, you know, like, I know a couple of people that are, and I can't wait for them to do it because I know of their pedigree. I know what they can do. And I'm excited because it may not even be modern per se, but it's going to be just amazing execution and everything's going to be the best in class ingredients. I don't, I don't know. Like I still read articles sometimes about how some of the stuff we did years ago were just patterns that are, were trendy 10, 15 years ago are like, echoing in other cities that, you know, didn't maybe never serve something like this. So I, I do think we're there. I think we're at a place now, the way I would define it is there's not going to be this crazy acceleration of more Korean restaurants, say in New York. And what you will see over the next five to 10 years are more Korean restaurants that are not the traditional, you know, I'm serving you Korean barbecue, right? It's the, everything else is going to start to you know, pop up in cities that really never had that. And I think what you're going to see too in New York is the then the cyclical nature to embrace a lot of the restaurants that serve one or two things like, you know, you know, gookbap or, or, or like sujebi noodles and things that you would see maybe in Koreatown LA that are just, we just make one or two things very, very well. And it, once we get to that, I almost feel like that, I don't know what kind of wave that is. I don't know if I'm even right, but it feels like we're reaching peak Korean food. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... That's not to say that we're not going to have more Korean restaurants. I think that's a guarantee. But, the, but like this... this um, again, I don't even know how to describe it. But it feels like we're reaching the zeitgeist of like maybe we're just reaching maximum capacity. Well, I think that there's a there's a sort of assumption in there that I that I make too that is that's that's interesting, right? Because okay, so think about it this way: what is what is American food most broadly? It's some version of German, French, and Italian, and it only became Italian in you know the the late nineteenth, early twentieth century. Italian restaurants had a sort of similar wave 
all of a sudden, like every restaurant that opened was a, a giant, you know, Italian hall. And that wave never crested or broke. <laughs> it never, it just, it sustained. And so the assumption I think that we are operating on is that the Korean wave will break, that it will reach a peak and eventually decline. Maybe it's not going to decline all the way, but it'll come back down. I mean, the hope for me and the, the, the thing that I, I think about Korean food and you've, you know, I don't want to get into all of the particulars. You've talked, you know, a lot about why Korean flavors seem to work in spite of intellectually seeming crazy that people eat marinated crab or, or whatever. You know, the hope is that the wave is sustained on some level, that the, that Korean food becomes part of the American food vernacular. Yes. That it's just permanent. It's permanent. Now, I know that you're not optimistic enough to believe that that'll happen, are you? That I don't know, you know, and I, and I can see this because I remember when we had Kawi, now again, things happened because of the pandemic, but um, I think it's now a Facebook office. Which we didn't have any control over. We were serving, I know, very, very modern food, mm-hmm. right? Modern Korean, even our kimbap, Right. Just people, there was only one person I knew that understood that, oh, this is a play on, you know, the Japanese inspired by kimbap and then Korean people going to Japan and taking back the kimbap. And this is a, you know, because of the size, it's so hard to express what is modern. I think the whole conversation of what is modern Korean is a whole nother thing. And listen, I'm not trying to just talk about Korean food per se, but using this, and this will make sense in terms of our next segment about the trends and how cyclical things are. And you brought it up, right? And to me, Replace Korean food with the next thing, all right? And as it's been in the past. And I feel like it was for a hot second Vietnamese food. I thought before that it was, you know, Italian foods had this huge crest. But I feel like we have ended the Italian phase. And that was probably like 10 years ago, right? The, the regional authentic Italian phase. Yeah, 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 for sure. And a lot of times that happens when, I don't know, but it's when... The, 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 it's not discovering the kinds of innovation, the kinds of restaurants of like, I remember when Scott Conant opened up, uh, Alto or, uh, it was a restaurant just doing the, in New York, the, that like Northern Italian mm-hmm. with Scott Cannon. And it got a lot of buzz. I thought it was delicious and it was kinds of regional Italian food that I was not familiar with. And when you start to see restaurants not doing just specific regionality anymore as the new thing, I think it starts to waver, right? And that's what I'm looking at is once we get to very specific kinds of Korean cuisine, I think it starts to flatten out because there's no place else for that to go. Not no place out, but culturally speaking. And I, I don't know, but also it's a, everything's a, a, a cycle, right? French food is now back in vogue, Right. And if you look in, again, when I say New York, I'm saying this because it has been a place to emanate a lot of cultural ideas and food. The 70s, 80s, and 90s were all owned by French restaurants. Le Cirque, Le Côte Basse, Le Caravelle, Le Grenouille. There's a few others, Le Lutes. Nobody wants to do those restaurants anymore. But I'd say if those restaurants were still open today, they would be crushing, absolute mm. straight crushing. And we're seeing that maybe not as French food, but I don't know, like, Maybe it comes back in a different form. We're just not, we just haven't had that cycle with other foods other than French and Italian to really process. You know, Sichuan food had its moment. Yeah. P- 
peak, when was peak Sichuan food in America? 2010? 2010, 2012? Something like that. <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Let, can, and it's we, usually when we, food critics start writing about it. <laughs> it's peak, right? As, a, as well, like a thing. Let me, let me, let me, let's, let's, can we zoom out for a second uh, outside of just the food part? Because I think that the Korean wave you're talking about is very interestingly not confined to food, obviously, right? It's music and culture and, and film as well, right? Like that has been a huge part of the, uh, the, the Korean wave or whatever you want to call it. And let me throw this, let me throw this at you because I, I was thinking about this the other night and I want to get your thoughts on this. I was watching, uh, Jamie and I were watching Rush Hour 2 <laughs> the other night. And this was sort of like, for me, I sat there watching this thing and I, t- I turned to Jamie and I was like, I'm so jealous of like Korean <laughs> culture wave right now because that, that period, which was like what late nineties, early two thousands, when you had Jackie Chan and Jet Li and Chow Yun Fat and like Zhang Ziyi makes an appearance in this movie. And that was like a big deal. Like Chinese culture has broken through, <laughs> but not really. It was, and I'm, I'm being reductive of my own culture and I'm, people are going to be pissed, but it's like, I looked at that and I thought, right now, <laughs> Korean music tops the chart without meeting anybody halfway. Like, BTS could have Korean language hits. Parasite is not a martial arts movie with an English-speaking, you know, uh, co-star. Like, Korean culture has waved without necessarily having to meet anybody halfway. But I think this is a larger conversation, and it's super interesting, and I'm not an anthropologist by any means, but I do believe it's because of the history of what's happened to Korea, and most recently, right? Mm-hmm. Korea's always been in the bottom seller. We've never won any wars. We've always been enslaved. <laughs> and, like, from the 50s, there was nothing. Everything was demolished, right? And so there's a freedom and I've had this conversation with the late Jay Gold and a bunch of other people, like why were Korean chefs per se able to really take the reins and, 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 and not be beholden to their past? It's because, I think it's because exactly the past. We don't, we, we don't, yes, you have to hold on to certain things. But for whatever reason, in America, you don't have to hold on to it as tightly if I was Chinese American. And you're starting so to see that differently now. You, you have some, I don't want to lump Chinese and Taiwanese together, but you're starting to see people take, well, actually, it's not a surprise to me that some of the most interesting stuff that are particularly Asian are from Taiwanese Americans right now, whether it's John Yao or the chef at Bonnie's in New York. You know, not a great history there either, right? So I, I, there's got to be some correlation. Could be wrong, being an armchair anthropologist right now, but I think that is the case. And I had this conversation with a couple chefs that were Chinese, and they're like, basically, they said, fuck you, because we can't do what you do. You know, honestly, summarize, I didn't say fuck you, but that's to summarize the conversation. No, honestly, that is the feeling. It is, it is absolutely the feeling. But I, I'm really... And I'm, I'm like, in, why can't you? And they're like, because we can't. <laughs> we just we just can't, because they're... Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's hard to explain why you can't bust out of this thing. But I will just say, all that aside, I agree, we can't get into the anthropology of it. But my feeling is that the tale on this Korean wave because of that, because of the holistic nature of it, because of the, the, the way that chefs and cultural creators are approaching this, I think the tale can be much longer. I think that we have, I, I say short answer. Don't think we've reached peak yet. Well, I mean, 
we don't have any definitive way of talking about what is peak, but I think it's interesting because I've never had this conversation. What are markers for you to decide when is peak? And why does it even fucking matter? I think it matters because it tells you if you're, if you are talking about things and if you're a creator of some sort, you want to know what's next, right? You don't want to open up a restaurant or write a cookbook or write a story where you're like, actually, it's not in vogue whatsoever. It's important to know. That's why we talk about things that are culturally relevant, right? We're not talking mm-hmm. about roller skates, you know what I mean? <laughs> Even though that could come back and that's cool, but that's why you keep, a, keep tabs on what the fuck is happening. And I don't know, to me, maybe the way to define what is peak per se is when it is accepted in places where it's not. We talk about dips and burgers. We talk about Bidia Taco. To me, Bidia is a perfect example of something that's been around. And when you see it mainstream in places that are more mainstream America, you're like, that's definitely post-peak, right? Mm-hmm. But post-peak when TGI Fridays is doing Bidia French dip, right, mm-hmm. is very different and probably several years after when it's technically, you know, cresting past. I don't know. When, it, when it's several years past, when it's a decade past, then it's permanent, right? Then it's just like, then oh, it's, beauty is. Then I guess it's permanent. Culture. Again, I don't know. This is fresh in my mind because we don't have that conversation. And I think it really leads nicely into what we're about to talk about next, which is Korean food in and around Los Angeles, which is also going to talk about Asian food and not just Asian food. It could be Lebanese. It could be anywhere where it sets up enclaves in places you would least expect it. And I think it talks about migration, et cetera. And the reason we're talking about this, not to be armchair psychologist, or armchair anthropologist, is because we want to be able to know where the next delicious thing is going to be at. Uh, we'll take a break. So for work, I've been going to Fullerton a bunch, and maybe that will, something we could explain why later. And it's not what you think, but it's, it's there, and I've been going there not for work. And that's about 45 minutes to an hour plus drive, right around, right around an hour for us to get to. And I've been going there because it tastes like home. Hmm. And I'm not saying I can't get these flavors in Koreatown, LA. You can, but they're usually not open and they're usually owned by Ajimas or Ajishis that are just, it's not easy to bring a family for a lot of reasons, right? And I haven't discovered them all quite frankly. I don't think I ever will, but I know they're delicious. And I think in the conversation with my Korean American friends, it's really more of a, a, how do I find the places that are not necessarily off the beaten path, but they're serving me something that is so delicious, but they only serve one or two things that are really delicious. And that's what you go for. And I still go to Cape Town. I love it, but I feel like something happened when I visited Fullerton for the first time. And I've been there now a handful of times when I tasted the food. I just it could be nostalgia to some degree, but it just tastes a little bit different to me. And I think it has that same feeling I had when I went to Koreatown for the first time when I was with my dad. I was playing in like a golf tournament, and I remember driving through K-Town, being born and raised in Virginia. I never saw a sign other than church signs in Korean. Hmm. And I wonder, just being in awe, I was like, there's an entire city here where everyone speaks Korean, all the Street signs are in Korean, and there's only Korean restaurants. I was like, "What? What?" It's like an American tale, and no. it's very different now. Koreatown is probably the best place to eat, one of the best places to eat in all of the world right now. 
It's very diverse. That's not just located to Korean food. And it's changed. And one of the things that's changed, and I've, I've learned this too, right, is people have been leaving LA, K-Town, to go to Fullerton. To maybe go to the outer, not outer boroughs, but maybe to Torrance or maybe to Gardenia. And it's not just located in that stretch. Same thing happened in K-Town in New York and Flushing and 32nd Street. It's really K-Town Alley, Koreatown Alley, to, to, to um, Fort Lee. Like, great, great Korean food may not be where you normally think it to be. And can st- you can still have great food where it's at. But I keep on thinking about Chinatown, L.A. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about how Chinatown used to be. It's super cool. Or Chinatown in San Francisco, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? Have you heard stories? Was the food there actually amazing at one point? Yeah, so Chinatown, San Francisco. I mean, your, your uh, relatives landed in San Francisco, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Your grandfather. My mom did as well. I think like uh, San Francisco's Chinatown was a very, very legitimate... I say legitimate, meaning like not touristy, not manufactured part of place in America where Asian immigrants arrived and looked for community and food and jobs and homes and anything. And, you know, all of the, you know, you might think San Francisco Chinatown is just a kind of fabricated city. In a sense, it is like uh, the, the city gave it all of its kind of crazy orientalist architectural touches and the dragon gates and stuff like that. But it was legitimately where immigrants came and landed and, and the food was great. And there's, you know, still parts of it. There's the, the oldest walk shop in America was in, it was in San Francisco. Um, there are still pockets in there that are very real, but I think what you're getting at is it's not where you go today necessarily. And a lot of these restaurants and a lot of these businesses are still Chinese owned or Korean owned. And that's amazing. But we're specifically talking about where it's delicious, right? Where that thing is at. And where it's, yeah. I don't think people would say that. There's some great spots in these places, right? But, you know, most of that Chinese food is in, you know, the, the China burbs, right? Right. Like, I, I think right. about Toronto. There are, I think, technically eight Chinatowns in eight streets, really, more or less, or more than streets, neighborhoods in Toronto. Big city, technically the most diverse population in North America, ethnically speaking. There's like literally eight, six to eight. I think it's eight. And they're great. I still eat there. Great restaurants. But the best food in Toronto is not in Toronto proper. It's in Markham. It's in mm-hmm. Scarborough. They're the equivalent of Richmond in, in Vancouver. They're equivalent of San Gabriel Valley. They're equivalent of, say, Fort Lee. They're equivalent of Dearborn, Michigan, right? If you want food that maybe is not in the city itself and it's, it's moved elsewhere. And the reason I'm talking about this, and I, I think probably the next podcast or next one or two or whenever, we're definitely going to go deeper into the immigration the patterns, but I just wanted to end this right now to talk about why. This, I think, falls into a pattern of what we've been trying to do. The restaurant next door on the list of the best, sexiest, crunchiest, most desirable, delicious, most essential restaurant of all time. The most delicious thing to eat may not even be in the city you think you're supposed to eat it. It could be in the county or two over. Mm-hmm. 
And getting to go through Fullerton gave me all the vibes of when I first came to Koreatown, LA in the late 80s, mm. right? Everything's in Korean. I, I go to a banchan shop and I just see people getting food to go like in ways like in some of the dishes just feel like home. It's the kind of food that I felt like you would get more in Koreatown 20, 30 years ago that you see today. And that's why I joked on, on threads. I was like, it's like the mavericks of Korean food in America right now. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But I think it's worth a conversation because I can say unequivocally, you know, not a surprise to people that live there. But when I talk to people about it, like, yeah, where the fuck have you been? I was like, I don't know. I'm just discovering this shit. <laughs> and I have no problem blowing it up because guess what? No one's going to go there. <laughs> it's far away. It's a, it's, a, it's a real detour for most people that live in Los Angeles. I think it's fantastic. And even if it's not, here's the thing. Technically, maybe the food is more delicious in Koreatown. But there's something about it to me, and I can't speak on behalf of anybody else, that feels like nostalgia that I can't find anywhere else. I can't go to Korea to find that because I'm a gyopo. I can't go to, maybe there's other places in the world, but when I'm there, I'm like, oh, this feels right to some degree. And the food, I don't, I mean, again, I'm, I'm trying to take out, is this more delicious? For what reason? And I don't give a shit if it is nostalgia. It certainly feels that way. And it's great. And this is happening all over the place, right? The best Indian food in New York City is not in New York. There's great Indian food. Don't get me wrong. I think the Damaka guys are doing sick things, but people go to Edison, New Jersey. And yeah, while people talk about that, it's not talked enough. People still haven't even written a comprehensive guide to the SGV. It's been attempted. Nobody's going to write a real review. Fullerton, it's too far away. Their budgets aren't there for companies to write about. And I think that's an awesome thing. It's <laughs> leaving things to be discovered on your own. No guide will ever fucking build something comprehensive for you to fucking give you. Yeah, maybe a five or top 10, find that infatuation. Great. What is exciting to me is that there are really populated areas that are completely sort of untouched. I'm sure there have been guides to some degree, but it's not part of the conversation. And you can go there and probably just go into a restaurant, as intimidating as that might be, order something and get something delicious. I just went to, um, in La Quinata, we went to a soup spot, Myungin. I can't remember the name. I'll find the name. We just, I, I forced myself. I was like, you know what? It's closer to my house. The reason I went there is we had planned to go to Fullerton on Sunday. We decided not to because it was just one of those days with the kids. I was like, let's go to someplace outside of Koreatown. Of course, I want to go back to park. I want to eat these things. But we went to this place in La Cunada, Flint Ridge, which is still in LA. And that's where there's a Lotte supermarket. There's a small, but, you know, dense Korean population. I was like, man, if there's a lot of Korean people that live here, I bet you there's some really great Korean restaurants and I've never tried them. Sure enough, mm -hmm. it's delicious. And I was like, shit, I'm going to come back here. We ate the gaktiki. We ate the, just the flavors of things felt old school and we enjoyed it very much. And I'm like, this is literally right beneath my nose. And I'm like, this is exciting to me. I want people to discover shit. And I don't care if you write about it or not. But like in a world where everything is harder to 
find individuality or a choice that hasn't already been made for you, especially with all this AI shit. It's like, it's there. And it, it's going to take a while before it to be discovered. All right. We'll talk more about this over the next couple podcasts here or there. We don't want to bore you with a very poor, poorly constructed <laughs> anthropology class. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Give us five stars, four stars, five stars, five stars. <laughs>